welcome to this weekday edition of Fountain City Sports Media, a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Kyle, and together with my good friends and colleagues, Reese and Armando, we'll be breaking down anything and everything regarding the Royals, the Chiefs, and Sporting Kansas City with other programming from the wide world of sports mixed in. Now, before we get started today, I want to disclose that we are all in disparate parts of the United States currently. Uh, I'm up in Des Moines. Uh, Reese is out in Kansas City. Armando's out in Colorado Springs now. Is that right? The Springs. <sighs> nice. Well, let's uh, let's give everybody a quick update of how we're doing. Uh, I'll go first. Um, I kind of clicked off a interesting, I guess, sort of a bucket list thing for me, but it's kind of a lame bucket list thing, essentially. So I, uh, I, I got this little 12-foot fishing boat like two years ago that I've been kind of dragging with me around the country, living in some various places. And uh, I had never before today taken it out by myself. I'd always gone with a friend or whatever. Um, and so I guess I would like sort of developed this kind of fear of it maybe, or, or that I like needed a friend with me to like help me like get it in the water or take it out of the water or like, I don't know, save me if I go overboard or whatever. I don't know. Strange. And for those of you that know me, it's like, it's an odd thing for me to have an irrational fear like that. Anyway, and this was, this was sort of brought to a head a few days ago because me and Reese actually went fishing together. And at some point Reese casually asked me, so you ever take this boat out by yourself? And I was like, no. So anyway, today I, uh, did that for the first time. Did you guys catch any fish? Didn't catch any fish. What? How long Uh, were you out there? Like an hour, an hour and a half, not long. What did you guys use as bait? We used uh, we used to use fishing lures. I think I was using a a crank spin, you know, just like the basic. It was like the golden retriever of bass bait, you know, the one you see everywhere when people are like, "I'm going fishing." I used a a weedless jig with a spinner and kind of a skirt on it that I um, kind of stole a tip uh, a trick from my dad by also like getting basically a like a crawdad kind of plastic lure or something with a couple tails off the end of it and then basically making this big chonker like improvised big stocks lure. Uh, <laughs> I forgot you had, you had the chonkenstein, didn't you? <laughs> chonkenstein indeed. <laughs> and so. Uh, uh, t- today I actually didn't take the time to switch back from both of those like rigs. I just took them both in the boat and would just like switch off in between them. Anyway, so what I learned today was I, I kind of got a window into my future because pretty much every other guy on the lake at like one o'clock on a Monday was just like some old dude in a sailboat. And so I kept like kind of putt-putting by these guys in my little fishing boat and being like, what's up? And just seeing like grizzled future Kyle out there on the water. So, um, yeah, I had my own little uh, pastoral moment today that uh, really clicked one off the list. Did you look into the water and see yourself? Something like that. (laughs) The water was pretty brackish. It was kind of like bath water out there today. Doesn't sound too bad. Did you catch anything? No, sir. I'm... I'm really I'm cursed these days. Yeah, you guys are striking out over there. Well, I mean, you're, you're fishing on Iowa lakes. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's hard in Iowa for sure. Also, the lake nearest my house up here is um, really heavily pressured. It's pe- people out on it all the time. Big Creek Lake for those of you who know, and uh, yeah, it's difficult any time of the year, um, but most most particularly in the summer. Also, it's dumb to go at one o'clock in the afternoon. I should go real early or real late, but I don't know. Got to be anyway. 
fishes sleep at noon, dude. You gotta know that, dude. Yeah, baby. Nap time. It's called it's called fish siesta. That's right. Do you think anyone would ever do a podcast called Nap Time? <laughs> <laughs> and only oh, we Lord. get it. Yeah. Art in, uh, yeah, art imitates Unless life. you subscribe to our, our Patreon, why don't you look down at the link and click on patreon.com slash fountaincitymedia.com. <laughs> Armando's a natural salesman. I'm, 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 I'm getting ready voice, for it. Your voice changes to this other realm when you're selling something. Well, today, we're somewhat regrettably together to discuss the emphatic meltdown that unfolded for our beloved Sporting Kansas City last night. Um, There's a ton to discuss here, from the positives and encouraging trends we observed in the first half to the cumulative slow burn of calamities that emerged in the second. Um, But let's just get into it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this MLS's back tournament so far. Um, So, essentially, the... The biggest piece of news um, at the beginning of this tournament on on and before July 8th was um, the fact that the league sent FC Dallas and Nashville FC home uh, because of a high rate of positive COVID-19 testing. And so that event felt a little fortuitous and even a little conspiracy theory to me because uh, they were from the only group with six teams. And so now it's just six groups of four teams. It's a 2014 tournament. So in terms of, I guess, um, nice statistically even groups, it's uh, it's it could be seen as a, as a good thing, but uh, I'm sure everybody on FC Dallas and Nashville would disagree. I want to say that they like didn't even cons- like have a conspiracy of, hey, we got to find a way to get two groups out of the league. Hey, guys, bow out. I would like to believe they actually went as far as to like give COVID to members of FC Dallas and Nashville. <laughs> you heard it here first. And be Jesus. like, oh, no. <laughs> guys, don't you like don't you read the news? Don't you know Texas is like a disaster right now? <laughs> that's that's that reverse psychology foiling right now, man. You got to believe that this is all like Illuminati I'm a, stuff. I am a believer of the facts. I'm not going to let conspiracy seep into this podcast. We have we have plenty of conspiracy to talk about in this game. We don't need to talk about <laughs> FC Dallas getting COVID on purpose. <laughs> oh, there's no theory in this game. There's just like law of nature and the law of nature being that Vermees is going to coach great for a half and then like completely lose his crap for the second half. Save it, baby. Save it. And he's ready. Reese is ready. <laughs> so, my question to you is, how is COVID-19 going to affect the rest of the tournament? Because a bunch of these games have already been, quote-unquote, postponed, everything involving FC Dallas and Nashville, but to me, that means that really means canceled. Or, you know, who knows? Uh, what are the effects of the group stage games going to be? Because we know that technically they count toward regular season points, but now that's all kind of screwed up. Um, there's a pretty legit prize involved in that the winner of MLS's back tournament gets a berth into the CONCACAF Champions League, um, a tournament that's really close to my heart, and that would be really awesome. Anyway, I'm just really curious how this is all going to play out. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Armando. They also call me Hot Take Mondo, and I'm ready for a hot take. Boo! The MLS the MLS is a precursor to what's going to happen to the, to the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB. If certain teams are being let go from the bubble, this is going to happen in the NBA and the MLB and the NFL, and this might just break sports as we know it. 
for this year. Like if this happened, like imagine if this happens in the NBA, like during the playoffs or or this happens in the tournament, say in, in the MLS even furthermore, you know, say someone in Sporting KC, they have to let go of a team when they're in the playoffs. Like hot take, this is a precursor of what's going to happen for the rest of sports this year and sports will be canceled. Reese? Dude, I'm going to throw you a dynamite hot take back after that. Like, I don't think they'll send home a playoff team. I think they will do the best they can to keep it under the rug and let the playoff team play because money got a money. So I, you I think mean, if, uh, like, someone got COVID, then they wouldn't they wouldn't announce it and just let it happen? I mean, they already poisoned <laughs> FC Dallas and Nashville <laughs> FC. So. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to get us, like, I'm not going to get Conspiracy us off the air Reese, for libel. Hot take Mondo. No. Plain old, redact- Ky- plain old fish and Kyle. <laughs> I redact all my sentiments. There was no COVID given out. Uh, no, I think, I think they would do something along the lines of let's say we're in the final four. Let's say uh, this is impossible, but let's say there's it's like L.A., L.A., New York, and Kansas City. Uh, let's say New York beats Kansas City to make the finals, but New York gets COVIDed and they can't play. Then I think they would send the team that New York most recently beat, Kansas City, to the finals. I think that's the way it would work. Uh, and if that wasn't the case, I would just continue, like, you know, trickling down the gutter until you, you know, then it's like if Kansas City can't play, then you put the team that Kansas City most recently beat in, and suddenly you have, like, a quarterfinals, you know, Houston Dynamo playing in the finals of the tournament, provided they're not covid That's a really interesting take, and one that I honestly hadn't considered, but also because we've seen that all of these decisions are just made by committee anyway. It's just a group of league leaders getting together and deciding, okay, this is what we have chosen to be too many cases, so FC Dallas goes home, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we, like Armando said, we, we see it in, in the other leagues too, where it's you know, even decisions about, okay, how, how many is safe enough? Where is safe enough? So yeah, I agree. So far in this tournament, there've been a ton of one nil victories, which I suppose is, is just maybe sort of teams getting back in the swing of things or, um, I don't know, but, uh, Philadelphia over NYCFC, New England over Montreal, Red Bulls over Atlanta, um, first match of the tournament was Orlando over Miami 2-1, so a win for the home team. A real snooze fest of a nil-nil draw between Seattle and San Jose. And then a somewhat terrifying 4-0 demolition derby of Columbus over Cincinnati with two great goals from friend of the podcast, Jossie Zardes. And my question is, is Columbus for real or is Cincinnati just bad, which is possible, but also... Um, Given the fact that Columbus had to fight tooth and nail to keep that team from moving to Austin, could they have, uh, I mean, and, and they went to the MLS Cup, what, two, three seasons ago? I mean, they've been good consistently, um, but I'm curious if uh, if if they're really going to be a contender sort of up there in the echelon of, uh, of the teams that Reese named, including Atlanta, um, both the LA teams, New York, etc., so I think you kind of answered your own question here. It's a three-pronged approach. Number one being, I don't think Cincinnati is quite that good just yet. I know they played pretty well and wasn't the America's Cup a couple years ago, but you know, no disrespect to the fan base, no disrespect to the club itself. They were very little engine that could to be you know promoted to MLS. But I think if we kind of have like a tier hierarchy of where teams stand in the MLS, you know, they're probably in that bottom tier. Number two. 
I think Columbus actually looks pretty good. I would say the only two standout teams in the tournament so far would be Columbus and first half Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> uh, part three, Columbus has this thing breathing down their neck of kind of like you said, the league is kind of itching to get them moved, it feels like. So I think Columbus is one of three or four teams in this tournament who is actually in it to win it. Because, you know, they got to they gotta prove to their fans, they got to prove to the MLS, like, hey, guys, we're winning franchise. You should leave us here. That's my take. Nice. Well, last thing uh, about the tournament in general. We still don't know which Sporting Kansas City player tested positive for COVID-19. That was announced the day before our first game. But, you know, nobody leaked it. Um, they didn't have to tell us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my question is, how much does that matter? Also, it wasn't really telegraphed to us as the fans because nobody showed up like the only surprise for the starting 11 um was uh the fact that gerso started over johnny russell and and it was stated to be a fitness issue um so i didn't see anybody not playing who should have been i i don't know if you guys have a hot take on that i would no i don't think there's a hot take i think we lost fair and square in my opinion i'm sure we're going to get into it right now but covid should not be an excuse for why we lost that game yesterday oh covid's not an excuse i think we're just trying to figure out who the person is that got coveted and couldn't play and i think as kyle mentioned it was none of the starting 11 and johnny russell came in didn't he yep yeah so you know that's that's 12 deep so i i don't want to say covid is important everybody that gets it is important but i think in terms of player relevancy, it wasn't like a super important starting player. It'd be someone that someone, gets added onto the. Someone could make the argument though that uh, Vermees could not sub in a said player that may have had COVID during the end. That could be an argument that someone could make, but that's a that's a big stretch. Vermees wouldn't sub anybody in any. <laughs> We're gonna get there, boys. Ah! Okay, so bang 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 bang. Pre-game, I gotta say as. Uh, as you'll learn from our uh, Patreon content or uh, whenever that episode shows up in the uh, in the documents of history, uh, a couple weeks ago, or last week, I should say, um, I predicted a, like a 2-0 or a 3-0 victory for us in this game. Boy, that did not age well. I forget what I said. I think it was 3-0. Yikes. But point being, I went into this game feeling very confident. And when we got up to the immediate pregame, I felt even more confident because the narrative surrounding this match was not only the fact that Eichel Parra did not travel with the team, two-time defensive player of the year, friend of the podcast, friend of Kansas City, love all that he did for us. But the fact is he stayed home. There's a there's a potential that he may rejoin the team after the group stage, but basically we, we, we weren't going to have to deal with him in this game. Then in the pregame, it was made clear that Luis Samaria suffered a pregame warm-up injury, was replaced with Mason Toye, and Ozzy Alonso was also out with a hamstring injury. And so they were presenting this image of Minnesota as basically th- three men down anyway, um, and possibly a team that was an underdog considering how well Sporting had played uh, in sort of the first preliminary matches way back 120 days ago. Um, although, it, you know, it was also pointed out that we scored seven goals in our first two games and they scored eight. So, you know, maybe there was no real underdog situation here. But fact is, I went into this very confident. No, I, I hear you. And I made the fool's errand of, I think I predicted 4-3 in some sort of Wild West shootout when I forgot the first rule of all soccer is never bet the over on goals 
<laughs> oh my goodness! I wish it was a four-three shootout. I would have preferred to lose a four-three shootout. It, it was almost. It should have been. We should have had four goals. Yes, thank we you. We should have had five or six goals. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think it shouldn't be understated that Opara was the defensive player of the year in 2019. Alonzo is really their muscle, right? He's like an incredibly physical player that could have done really well against our our offense, and then. And then Amarillo, who was their new striker, but was also getting used to the role of being the striker. So it's like their offense was essentially depleted. And because we were so offensively minded in the past couple of games that we played, this should have been a, a no-brainer. And right for the first 65 minutes, it was a no-brainer that we should have won it. Um, but yeah, going into the game, I mean, we it was it was logical to be very confident about Sporting KC. Yeah. And indeed, the first half was marked by moments of brilliance from us. And honestly, more than moments of, well, uh, I'm not going to go that far. It was marked. No, it was moments of brilliance. Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was marked by general consistency and moments of brilliance and also a disturbing inability to finish these great moves that we were setting up. Um, I I took notes that early chances involved Alan Pulido as a distraction while other weapons made the second or third run. Um, Gerso, Kinda, Shelton, um, and a couple times there there were situations that looked like a sure goal. Um, one in particular from Kinda after a great pass from Pulido that didn't result in anything. Oh, um, why did he shoot it so soon? Yeah, yeah. Was that that chip he sent? Oh, I, I mean, yeah. Seventh minute. Why? Why did he take that shot? What? What is the logic behind that? Soccer I, minds. I think he was trying to catch the goalie off his line, and uh, perhaps he was trying to surprise the goalie um yeah he had the keeper out of position and to be honest like Zlatan would have finished that goal you know Gareth Bale Messi (laughs) would have finished that goal but Kinda's not one of those guys like does Kinda hit that probably three maybe four times out of ten but he's so good though I loved watching him play and then yeah, he's awesome. in the 11th minute Kinda also almost scores a goal in the 11th minute and then 16th minute he also almost scores a goal again so like within the first 20 minutes he almost scores three goals and that's that's one that I believe you can chalk up to the fact that we're just rusty um, and I think my hot take is those goals will come I think you're probably right yeah, no, I I, I love Kinda. I, I loved his his energy. He he was a lot faster than any of the the defenders that Minnesota had at a certain point. Very agile. Like he was a lot of fun to watch. He was one of my uh, players to watch. In fact, in the last podcast, I also really enjoyed Gerso's play. I mean, we, we can sort of uh, maybe ding him for not finishing again a couple of scoring opportunities that he had, but in general. Um, he he's so quick and he plays hard all the time and I think he really acquitted himself well especially starting in the place of Johnny Russell I also want to talk about the fact that um, and and we, we can talk about this now or later but my again my notes from the first half were that was that our midfield played really well I thought uh, sure I did. thought Ilya Zussi yep. Espinoza all had a ton of control in terms of dictating when and how we made our moves. Um, I thought that, in general, the the inconsistent or sloppy passing out of the midfield was then rectified. Like, the, there weren't sort of issues that lasted for minutes on end. There would be a couple plays that didn't really work, and so then we go back to the drawing board. But in general, I liked the creativity, and I liked the mix of controlling possession while also trying to break the game open. 
and that makes honestly the, the result that much more disappointing Dude, people were saying that Minnesota came out flat-footed or they weren't in sync until late in the game, but that that wasn't the case. We were just we were dominating them. They had no chance and when they yeah. did get the ball, would get our midfielders would get it back so quick that have no chance for a counterattack. I think the thing that hurts so much is that on all the chat rooms I was seeing they're like Sporting Kansas City's playing like Spain right now. You know, Spain or Germany where it's like they control possession for like 75-80% of the game but they just can't get any goals out of it. And it's like, how is this game still tied? Yeah, Minnesota's first shot on goal was in the 28th minute. So we had almost a half hour, 30 minutes, that it was all our possessions, and then they got one. I love the way that they they went on the fast break, because a lot of times when Casey did have the ball, they was kind of slow passing it, but then when they found their opportunity, they're just so quick. I mean, I just couldn't believe how quick they were in comparison to Minnesota. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, match fitness, too, where a lot of our guys came in ready to play. Um, and uh, honestly, a lot of a lot of Minnesota's, I mean, even, and again, they sort of became the heroes later, but um, Molino and Findlay, like, they didn't look as match fit as sporting. Um, Until and, later. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it's unfortunate that we couldn't capitalize on that. All right, well, Let's talk about the uh, the brightest part of the game, and that was uh, Kyrie Shelton's icy breakaway goal after an absolutely ankle-breaking moment from Alan Pulido to set up the pass and give him and give him the one v one. And uh, I think they were right in saying that um, the tail of that goal was the terrible goalkeeping from Tyler Miller. Although I'm tempted to give him the benefit of the doubt that. Had he tried to pull basically a feint move like that and try to get Shelton to pick out a different part of the box, if he tried that much earlier, um, I can I can see the logic behind it. But honestly, when you sort of slow it down and just look at what happened, it makes Miller look really bad. Yeah, no. Uh, okay, so I got to play armchair, you know, high school quarterback here. So I played goalie through high school uh, and – you know the, the big thing goalies will always tell you which is, is partly true and it's partly just you know the goalie's pride being damaged but it's like go- goals are rarely the goalie's fault you know they can miss saves there can be shots like they should save but like normally it's a breakdown in defense it's miscommunication it's a great shot that goal was absolutely the goalie's fault he i wrote down when he did that he stutter stepped and played himself trying to think oh i'm, I'm i think he's gonna pass to the center they're gonna try to strike in the center and there, there was absolutely no intention. You could tell he was staring that shot down. I mean, he was looking at it like a quarterback seeing a receiver streaking 35 yards down the field. He says, I'm going to hit this. And I think if he would have actually stayed in that position, I think he would have blocked that shot. Miller cheating right is like J.R. Smith calling a timeout in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> Reese, I'm going to play devil's advocate for you and say that the opportunity that Miller gave him by fainting right put the shot beyond doubt so that that even if Shelton had had the thought to play the ball to a run in the middle that then all that was dispelled because it was just a sure goal run that by me one more time I mean it 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 doesn't really matter I'm just being chippy but I'm saying that um if Shelton had had any (laughs) doubt about taking that shot the fact that Miller just gave it to him dispelled any notion of trying to play that ball to this oh you you think he tried to mental game Uh, absolutely 
and, and that, that's what I was saying by the by by my previous uh, thing. It was if, because like if that, Miller was athletic, then it would have been a good mental game. But he could not get back to the ground that he had just cheated. Well, and it, now I'm gonna get ba- I'm gonna get back and jump on some stuff you said earlier, and the fact that Pulido and our offense is so dangerous that they're all distractions. I think him jumping was the result of those players being a distraction, and you always have to watch on them. Sure, fine. All I'm saying is, end of the day, you got a guy bearing down on you who has a difficult play either way. It's a hard shot to make near post. Yeah. Um, he has to pick out whether to go near post or far post from if he's going to shoot from that position. So Miller tries to take away far post or take away the plate in the middle, and, you know, it backfires. End of the day, Miller sucks. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, I wish that was the story of the game, but unfortunately it was not. So second half begins really just in an unfortunate waste of a great run by Gerso uh, that really should have been a goal. It was a quick dump off to, I don't even remember who on the left. Uh, I just wrote terrible waste at 48 minutes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, that, that, was the put, that was the put away goal. We go up 2 well, nothing I mean, there. There's ba- no coming basically, back. Basically, I, I guess Jersa yep. was just gassed after his sprint, which fair enough, but he had all the room in the world to just dump the ball off to a dinker goal from I forget who now. But anyway, uh, so that hurt, especially what happened later, because now it's time to talk about the red card. Oh, well, before we even get to the red card, uh, you know, I jotted down my notes after that. Bold call for offsides. That's easier to leave as is. It was the right call, though. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what. That goal. Thank God for uh, for video that review. That goal was a foreshadowing omen of what was to come. Because the end of my first half analysis, I wrote, we are quite obviously the better team. Just hoping the offense can add a second goal so the defense doesn't allow some slop goal in late. Now, I'm going to dissect that for you real quick. Just hoping the offense can add a second goal. Did that happen at 48 minutes? Nope. Second thing, does the defense allow some slop goal in late? This isn't super late at this point, but it was absolutely a slop goal. It was a stupid corner set piece cross. Or I feel bad now. It was some kind of yeah. cross that just like landed in, just kind of dinked around, and nobody could get a freaking boot on it or get in the way of the ball. Now, again, was he offsides? Yes. And I thought watching the play live, he was offsides. But if it weren't for the replay, you know, bailing us out, which, you know, it, it, it helped because it was offsides. It's like, it, it's 1-1 right there. Also, much was made at the time of Melia choosing to push his line of defenders up in preparation for that set piece. Uh, and then the fact that he'd done that and made sure that um, uh, that that sort of the offside trap was set—that's the whole reason that goal was offside. So if if again, and, and I know we're about to really go in on Tim Melia here, um, but that was um, a pretty soft offsides trap. Melia could have reached out and patted his defender on the back. That's how close to the goal line all the defenders right, were. The, if you're playing an offside trap, you got to get out of that eight no, yard no, box. No, but I'm saying those are the margins because you have to be right there to defend. I, 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 I'm saying that 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 part of it was good, on our end. Yeah. No, you, you you're playing a you're playing talking me down here when I just want to. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I want to play Little League Dad and yell yeah, at the players yeah, yeah, the coach yeah. some more. We're, we're not even there yet, Reese. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened after that, Kyle? For only the second time in his career, a red card for Tim Melia. Was it the right call? Was it a certain goal otherwise? 
do we give him the benefit of the doubt because it's the only second red card of his career? How do we feel? Okay. So here's my dissection of it. Uh, again, I played referee in high. I, I played uh, goalie in high school. I refereed soccer through high school. You do call a red card there because it was denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity. Was it an easy goal scoring opportunity? No, because there were three sporting guys crashing to fill that goal that could have got a body part on it. So I'm not saying it was a one on one. You know, like he took his legs out and stopped an easy goal, but. Melia went after the dude, didn't play the ball at all, was like a yard and a half outside of the goalie box. It was a bone-headed move by him, but it absolutely was a red card. Yeah, why why didn't he just play back? So, Reese, can you break that down? If you're a goalie and someone's coming at you and you don't have enough time to really grab and make a good ball on play, why don't you pull back and wait? My only thought is, uh, I, I can't remember the sequence that led up to that, but he must have been playing at the very edge, if not like a few yards outside of the box, playing far out, which is it's fine to do given where the you know the defenders may have been. But why he was caught like that with his pants down, I couldn't tell well, he, you. I honestly couldn't tell he you. He had no option because there was a breakdown in the midfield. And so then suddenly he realizes that he has to close down this he has to close down on this breakaway um, run because otherwise the guy's gonna have an easy goal, right? Um, but but from from what I was seeing though, given the rate, he chose to come out and charge him when he had, like I said, three defenders crashing. At that point, I backpedal or I don't charge the guy and hope that you know, he has to get around that, that bevy of dudes because he was coming in from the same angle that we scored our first goal on, which is that near side shot. And like I said, that was far from a sure thing, even if he gets around the keeper. Maybe. That's true. I also don't want to distract from the point I want to get back to it, but I just want to make an observation that we've seen this week's play as kind of fluky, not only from KC, but from a lot of other teams. And I wonder if everyone in the MLS just says, all right, like that happened but we're not really going to put any stock into any of this because even in this game we have two big examples of Miller and Melia and then we also have Columbus and like all the other fluky games that happened so I wonder if they just chalk this up and be like all right week two this is when we're really going at it well not to excuse it though Casey Sporting Casey had an opportunity but I'm saying this is a common thread I don't know if you guys saw Benny Failhaber's comments. Friend of the podcast, Benny Failhaber, thank you for all you've done for the city of Kansas City. Uh, but he he made some comments that this is essentially a preseason tournament, um, alluding to, I believe, not only the dismissal of a couple teams, but also the COVID-19 issues within the teams that are still playing, the fact that lots of guys aren't match fit, et cetera, et cetera. And so if we take that... Um, as at least close to the truth, then yeah, fair enough. If this were a preseason game, I wouldn't hit the panic button quite yet. However, it's worth noting that even after that red card, the game wasn't over. We still could have won this game. We could have won it on just the 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 sheer boldness, the sheer bravery of Richard Sanchez's mustache. Oh, don't even get me started on Richard Sanchez. Boo. He ain't a friend of the podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> boo, let's 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 boo Richard Sanchez and let's boo the Houston Astros. Uh, here we go. Boo. <laughs> boo. 
Dude, I'll tell you what. If we want to get down and dirty into this, I got notes on Richard Sanchez in here. Give it to me. fundamentals for even just like clearing the ball and punting, he does that stupid side punt. He couldn't even get it to the halfway mark, dog. I know he was trying to clear some of those. I mean, just where he was, his footwork is like a statue. It's insane. I'm like, that guy is not... An MLS level keeper, dude. I think he'd be a middle of the road USL keeper. Well, I I actually have a question for you guys. At at the 86th minute, I noticed that Sporting was being really aggressive, even though we're still up one zero. Is there a reason to why we were being so aggressive, even though we were down a man? Well, uh, that's a good question, and that plays into the debate over whether or not Vermees should have made more subs. I think the answer is pretty unequivocally yes he should have made more subs. That said, um, you can sort of fix these issues with uh, formation. And so I I really want to go back and sort of analyze that. Um, from what I could see, we didn't really make any concerted effort to drop more guys into the midfield and just play really conservative to try to conserve the lead. Um, I saw a lot of miscommunication, a lot of sort of... Um, a lot less possession than we had the entire match. I mean, we still wound up 62-38 in our favor, but, I mean, we just fell apart over the last 10 minutes, including stoppage time. Minnesota also well, wasn't pressing during that time either. Like, they weren't being aggressive, but Sporting was like, oh, got to score another goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the problem is, like, he didn't change his strategy at all. It's almost like it was like some sort of keep calm and carry on with the exact same formation and strategy we were doing where, I mean, it's almost textbook coaching that when you're man down and you're cushioning a goal lead with, like, 15 minutes and change, you just throw everybody in the backfield and just have them, like, kind of turtle and tank, you know? And then if you somehow, you know, can catch a fast break because everyone's, you know, already crashing the box, that's when you try and score. But that's why you kept seeing so many guys. I mean, Minnesota looked like they had numbers every time they had the ball because they did have numbers every time they had the ball. They didn't adjust for not having that extra guy. Well, and uh, I want to mention that I absolutely jinxed Kyrie Shelton because he had such a great game, even with the couple foibles we mentioned in the first half. But really, I thought he played quite well yeah. until the just brutal, random own goal that I, I just I feel really bad for him. And I feel like I jinxed him because I had just written down my notebook, Kyrie Sheldon, MVP of this game, question mark? Well, 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 Sheldon also uh, Sheldon's also been known not to be good when he jumps up to kind of grab a ball. That's that's one of his weaknesses. So that's also very curious for him to, like, try to do that in the moment again, maybe post pre preseason week something like that is fixed right where Sheldon knows not to go up for the ball in a certain way um so I'm hoping it's fluky because you're right he played really well other than in the 91st minute dude hot take I would say it was fluky if this wasn't a pattern of sporting Kansas City all of last season like the one part of my prediction I had correct was we're going to put together world-class set pieces and scoring opportunities, which we absolutely did in the first half and early second half. And then late in the game, we're just going to have some sort of, you know, little ball dinking around that no one can clear out of the box, and suddenly it just finds its way in the back of the goal before you even know it. We went from sporting KC fit to quarantine fit. (laughs) Oh, I like that. (laughs) Kyle, what are your thoughts? So, one final thing about 
the last few minutes of this game. Oof. Uh, I really felt like we did not totally fall apart. And maybe this is obvious, but we really didn't fall apart until immediately after that first goal. That, that first Minnesota goal was really just the gut punch into what had been a, a slow burn of issues accumulating for us, um, starting with, honestly, the poor finishing, uh, continuing with the disallowed offsides goal, continuing with the red card, continuing with our inability to adjust formation and adjust possession and adjust defending, um, and resulting in, again, a fluky, disheartening own goal off of Shelton. And then, I mean, commentary, the live commentary had it right when they said, this feels like Minnesota could steal this game um, because, I mean, it was just demoralizing at that point. I mean, at least if it would have been like a home game for Minnesota, I could blame crowd momentum. But I'm going to break this down here. If you're going on a long road trip and you've been driving for 12 hours, you're going to get tired. If you get tired, you're more likely to get in an accident. And if you don't have your seatbelt on, it's more likely that accident's going to be real, real bad. So when Vermees refuses to substitute in fresh players when you're already manned down and they're getting real, real tired, and you don't put on that seatbelt of substitutions, if you get into a crash in the 92nd minute like we did, it's going to be real, real bad. I mean, just imagine us having fresh legs in the 98th minute when we had three corners back to back and nothing had, they look so gassed. Everyone looked gassed, but imagine, right, just one or two subs, those three corners change the game. Also, remember, we have five substitutions in these COVID rules. Oh my we gosh. We have five subs. It boggles my mind. Uh, I had this epiphany in the shower this morning while I was talking to myself. Peter Vermees is Andy Reid pre-Patrick Mahomes. Oh my in god. The, <laughs> in the sense of you watch him play and he is absolutely like an upper crust, one of the best minds in the entire league but he refuses to tweak some things and they keep coming back and costing him and after a certain point it's like when does this stop being an issue like early on Andy had those clock management issues late in the game and it's like what are you doing or he'd kind of turtle you know when he'd have like a you know 11 point lead 12 point lead with a quarter and a half he's like oh let's just kind of take it home it's like no while you have the mo kill him kill him kill him Vermees never subs he has a substitution problem he will not adjust either out of pride or because maybe that's a blind side in his coaching abilities is he can't adjust I would like to believe the former and not the latter but I mean, I'm not calling for his head because I absolutely think he's the best coach. And I don't want Minnesota or somebody else picking him up. I don't want to go and play him a few times a season. Are you kidding me? So we got to keep him. But at the same time, I hope something changes or it's going to be just like 2019 again for the near future. That's a hot take. I love that. I still think with our personnel adjustments, a lot of these issues will be better. However, I agree with you with your misgivings about... um, our sort of our team strategy in general. And I think all, all that's going to have to work itself out in the tournament going forward. Uh, and it's going to have to work itself out in team chemistry as match fitness continues, as we figure out where the new guys belong in the team, as we figure out where the veterans belong in the team. I want to lay some, uh, some final stats on you guys. We held, after it was all said and done, even with our meltdown, we still held possession 62% to 38 
we had 14 fouls. They had 12. We won the corner battle 9-3. to three. We had nine corner kicks to their three. Um, these stats tell me, bottom line, that we should have won this game by a few goals. You know, and this is where I'm going to jump in and, and agree with you that obviously there was ring rust. You know, if this if this was game three of the season, we had just come off beating Houston, we we beat the wheels off of Minnesota. It's going to be three or four to nothing. So ring rust, will it get better throughout the season as the more consistent they play? I really think it will. But here's the problem. This is the here and now, and I think this cost us getting out of the tournament group. I think it is all over after that loss wow that i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in there and, and agree with you reese i love the way that we're playing and i love kinda i love espinoza um yeah i love how everyone's playing but like i think we lost three three points in the tourney right because of that three points mm-hmm. is a lot is gonna be a lot like this is the this is the the group of death like we can't we can't mess around and have a game like this i think you're right that's really gonna hurt the morale if something during the next game, if we have fatigue again at the end of the game, they're going to start having having flashbacks of this last game. I agree with you, Reese. I think I think we're done. I'm going to strongly disagree with you guys because simply because of the fact that Colorado is in our group, and because of the nightcap game after ours, we have observable evidence that Colorado is not playing well. They weren't playing particularly well before the restart. But that's 120 days ago, but Rail Salt Lake did not look particularly great in that game, and they still beat them handily 2-0. And so, obviously, our next game against Colorado, that's Friday at 7 o'clock, is a must-win, obviously. Um, And perhaps to to your point, um, to avoid being bottom of the group, we have to make sure that we win that game and then make sure that Colorado doesn't win their game against Minnesota. I don't see that being particularly likely. Um, and I think that with three points against Colorado and then fight like hell to at least get a point against Salt Lake, I think we'll make it out of the group since now, um, or I guess it's always been this way, but top two place teams get out and then the top, the next top four third place teams also get out. So basically, we got to play for third and we need a decent amount of points. Dog, you're forgetting one big factor, though, and that's that we don't get Melia for the next game. For our must-win game, we have Sanchez starting in goal, dude. Boo! And, he didn't, he, and you could tell by the way he dove at that shot that was soft and obviously going to be out of bounds. That dude has the yips. <laughs> He's not ready to play. And I, I don't want a second-string goalie going in for a must-win game. This is the equivalent of if it's week 17, it's a winner go home to make the playoffs game, and Pat Mahomes, oh, geez, uh, and you are the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees get, no, it's another bad example. Hold on. Uh, no, you should use it and this, then put in Bat Moore. <laughs> no, but this, this is the thing, though. We don't have... We don't have a Matt Moore as our backup keeper. We're going straight from Patrick Mahomes to, like, Pat Shermer or Curtis <laughs> Painter. We don't have, like, a journeyman that can, like, keep it I'm going. I'm going to disagree with you there again and say that the reason that Sanchez looks so shaky to us is the fact that no backup goalie for Tim Melia ever gets game gets game time. The only time that a goalie for Kansas City, since Tim Melia has been our starter, that ever gets 
time in goal is when they started. Doesn't have, happen very often, but for rest or for injury or for or for whatever, that's the only time that these guys ever get to play because Mealy is so consistent, and and things like this never happen. And so, I'm not going to chalk up his performance to nerves, but I'm going to say that a full five days prepping to start the next match is going to make a difference. Again, I understand that that theoretically you always have to be ready to play. Theoretically, you you always got to be ready for that moment. Santos is also coming back from injury, and we don't know how much that injury actually affected him. So that's another big thing to kind of realize. It could be the shakes, but it could also be maybe he's not 100%. My super hot take for this next match is that Sanchez does not start, and we put that young gun kid in. Because I think we may have seen enough just in those 15 minutes that it's like, yo, this is not the answer. This is not our starting quarterback replacement right now. We need to do something else. If we don't, and Sanchez starts, which is probably more likely than not, I think we have to score. If we score under three goals, we lose that game. We have to finish, finish, finish. Oh, I totally agree with Reese. Well, uh, Reese, I got to say, if you're right about that and John Poleskamp is not the guy who has COVID-19, this is uh, our 18-year-old goalie that we just signed as a homegrown player. Uh, we signed him for a three-year contract through 22 with an option for 23, second youngest goalkeeper in team history. Uh, he spent two seasons with the LA Galaxy Academy before he turned pro in 2019, spent a season with Sporting Kansas City 2, formerly Swope Park Rangers, poured out for Swope Park, friend of the podcast, Swope Park. That's PR? At the USL level. Uh, and so, again, I'm not going to uh, die on the hill of Richard Sanchez, but, again, coming off of injury, fair enough. Also, you know, if we have the ability to sort of test the waters with uh, some of our younger guys who don't get playing time. And again, it's like, it's kind of playing with house money at this point, even though it shouldn't be. Maybe that's an unfair assessment, but it's just like, I mean, we got nothing to lose. We got to throw everything against the next game. Actually, that's a lie. We have everything to lose, (laughs) but we got to throw everything at the next game. And so, you know, got to bring it. Who knows what this kid could be? Because I can think of an example of somebody where the young near rookie kid had to step in for a veteran quarterback led their team all the way to Super Bowl 36 and went down to be a legendary Hall of Fame quarterback and I'm of course talking about Kurt Warner stepping in for Trent Green Uh, I don't know anybody else who would have fit that quota definitely not some guy named Tom Brady friend of the podcast Kurt Warner Iowa pride baby dude Kurt Warner's coming out with a movie he's coming out with like a, a biopic Kurt Warner's the best he is the best. I love Kurt Warner. I really want to get a Kurt Warner Barnstormers jersey. Wouldn't that be dope? Oh, my gosh. That's the coolest thing I've heard all day. Yeah, well, um, final final poll for you guys. Panic button or no panic button? I vote no. On the season, no. For the tournament, yes. I think that was absolutely the worst-case scenario that happened in about seven minutes in that tournament. Panic button. Big panic button. Boo Sanchez. <laughs> okay. Final question, prediction for Friday's game against Colorado. I'm going to say 2-0 victory. I say 2-2 draw. I say 3-2 Colorado. Oof. Okay. Well, there you have it, dear listeners. You'll uh, you'll be able to hold us against the uh, the reality of history. Um, 
big shout out to Reese for his editing of this podcast and uh, thank you all for tuning in Uh, it's really uh, it's our pleasure to break this stuff down for you and uh, we look forward to many more so Sporting KC forever Mm -hmm.